welcome to a new episode of the Weekly Wrap podcast. My name is Sindira Chetty and I will be highlighting some of the informative feature and news articles from the 27 August issue of Farmers Weekly. This week's magazine is a must read for livestock farmers. You can look forward to reading articles on the basics of hoof health management in cattle, the importance of raising stress-free pigs, and other specialists discusses managing mastitis in dairy cows. We find out how a Limpopo rancher is weathering tough times in the game industry, and we discover the key to increasing your macadamia nut crop. Let's take a look at the main feature article in this issue. Easy solutions to hoof health problems. Three animal health experts discuss common problems faced in hoof health. Maintaining hoof health in a cattle herd is very important. According to Gert van Zeel, director at Dairy Smid Hoof Trimming, a cattle hoof trimming company, there are two things to look for when identifying hoof health, which is length and balance. Hooves grow at a rate of approximately 5 mm per month with the toe horn being harder than the heel therefore the toe will wear down slower than the heel causing imbalance a lack of imbalance is one of the main causes of lameness especially if the animals walk excessively and stand for long periods on hard surfaces dr klaus jan liu researcher of beef cattle nutrition at the agricultural research council's animal production center in irene adds that poor hoof health or lameness can be caused by overgrown hooves lesions on the hooves or laminitis which can be caused by metabolic issues such as acidosis he says that while overgrown hooves can occur in cattle that graze on pastures that are soft underfoot the main cause in this case is nutritional deficiencies observing your animals is a good first step to identifying a problem Due to environment where dairy and beef cows generally spend their time, they have different problems that affect their hoof health. Compromised hoof health results in cattle being less mobile, battling to stand up, and walking appearing to be difficult. In the early stages of hoof health problems, the animal might visit the water and feeding troughs less, but eat more per visit and more rapidly. Now this means that the affected animal's intake may not change much initially. However, as the condition progresses, feed and water intake will be gradually reduced. According to Liu, lameness in dairy cows is quite common, and aside from mastitis and infertility, it is one of the top 3 reasons why they are culled. When identifying problems in beef cows, genetics and conformation can have a negative influence on claws. Cows with good conformation will have claws that wear down evenly and at a good angle. The opposite is also true, and bow-legged or cock-hocked animals will experience uneven claw wear and tear, resulting in lameness. Another condition that affects beef cattle is corkscrew. Nutrition also plays an important role in hoof health and according to Liu amino acids fatty acids vitamins especially vitamin B minerals such as calcium and trace minerals such as zinc and copper are important to promote normal hoof growth and strength In conclusion Dr Magdalen Wepner of the ARC's Animal Production Institute says it is vital that farmers be well educated in identifying an animal that is having problems with its feet. It is important to seek immediate relief for cattle that have hoof problems and farmers should consult with a vet or animal health technician. Now let's take a look at pig welfare. 
Raising Stress-Free Pigs. Dr. Peter Evans, veterinary liaison at the South African Pork Producers Organization, explains that livestock perform better when they're in a healthy, stress-free environment. He says the cost of production is so high that farmers cannot afford to neglect their animals. They know that stressed pigs will be less resilient, more disease-prone, take longer to finish, and be less productive than stress-free animals. Now, for this reason, most pig producers follow the SAPO code for the welfare of pigs. The code is based on the five freedoms. Animals should be free from thirst, hunger and malnutrition, free from discomfort, free from pain, injury and disease, free to express normal behavior, and free from fear and distress. Dr. Evans stresses that it pays to invest in good quality food, as malnutrition can lead to all kinds of problems, ranging from poor growth and reproductive problems to birth complications and death. Evans advises farms to speak to their local animal health technician or nutritionist vet, extension officer, or cooperative to help them formulate a diet based on available resources. Evans says animal welfare issues usually arise when pigs do not have proper shelter, the housing is not properly ventilated, or the climate is not controlled sufficiently. Now, whether they're working with an automatic or manual system, farms still need to check conditions in the pig house to ensure its proper functioning. Systems should also be inspected regularly to identify and fix breakages. Another expensive mistake that some farmers make is to build pig houses without consulting a housing expert or even or other farmers. Biosecurity and the animal's comfort are the main aspects to consider when building a pig house. Farmers also need to consider the area used for gestating sows. Over the past few years, many countries, including South Africa, have moved from curative to preventative health management, resulting in biosecurity and vaccination becoming increasingly important. The last feature we find out how diversity is key to obtaining a superior macadamia nut crop, as cross-pollination between varieties can lead to a yield increase. Professor Helen Wallace from the Agricultural Ecology Department at Griffith University in Queensland, Australia, has been a macadamia researcher for more than 20 years and is part of a team investigating pollination in macadamias. Debunking myths on how pollination in orchids works, she clarifies that bees and other insects are primarily responsible for pollination. Macadamias are not adapted for wind pollination since they have nectar. Plants have nectar to attract insects or animals who then need to spread it further. Wallace explains that pollination that occurs between two flowers of the same cultivar constitutes inbreeding with the same dire consequences as it would have elsewhere in nature. Cross-pollen is any pollen from a different variety and self-pollen is any pollen from the same variety. This means that even if you get pollen from a 344 variety in Australia and a pollen from a 344 in South Africa, it's still self-pollen. It doesn't matter where it comes from, it's all about the genetics of that pollen. Now macadamias, just like animals, don't like inbreeding. This results in offspring that are likely to be deformed, weak, small and have all kinds of problems, so they may not survive. It's exactly the same for plants. Macadamias have evolved to stop inbreeding from happening. Since the male and female parts are right next to each other, they're going to accidentally self-pollinate all the time. 
Now, to prevent these potentially inbred wig nuts from developing, macadamia trees have a way to chemically recognize pollen that's self-pollen and then stop it from growing. So if self-pollen does make it, which it sometimes will, you've got an embryo that's going to be small and weak and not as strong as those from cross-pollination. That's why macadamias need cross-pollination. Cross-pollination is important for nutset, yet the most common seen in macadamia orchids around the world are blocks of single varieties, sometimes covering the whole farm. Wallace says this has been a particular point of concern over the years, with research only recently being able to show the true effect of monocultures. According to Wallace, they have started using paternity testing of crops to determine the extent of cross-pollination in an orchid. This allows them to see where the pollen came from that made the embryo, which eventually turned into a nut. To gain a better understanding of the level of pollination in an orchid, Wallace advises farmers to check for clumps of pollen on macadamia flowers in the early afternoon, which would indicate that bees have not been there. If farmers are seeing really low initial nut set at about three weeks after flowering, that might mean that they have a pollination problem. Now let's head over to news. One of the highlights this week is a story about how farmers have devised ways to cover drought feed costs in the Eastern Cape. The seven-year drought has had a devastating impact on the rural economy of the province so far, and farmers have been financially forced to their knees. According to Peter Knussen, chairperson of the State Level Farmers Association, despite the overwhelming challenges they're facing, State-level farmers came up with an innovative way to generate funds to cover the high transportation cost of the animal feed they were forced to purchase. According to Knussen, they took a conscious decision not to become mere victims of circumstance. They looked at ways to generate funds themselves and decided in the 2016-2017 season to make use of what they had in order to do so. Since then, they have generated hundreds of thousands of rands through raffling kudu and springbok that occur naturally in their area, as well as hunting packages. The transportation cost of a single load of maize from the Free State, for instance, amounted to between 24,000 and 26,000 rand. Knussen told Farmers Weekly they were able to raise 108,000 rand in 2018, 132,000 rand in 2019, 190,000 in 2020, and 206,000 in 2021. This came as a godsend to the area, given the fact that drought assistance from the government never materialized, and farmers were left to fend for themselves. And as the saying goes, a poor marker plan. And in other news, participants in a recent local survey titled Consumer Adoption of Cultivated Meat, South African Early Adopters by North Mountain Consulting Group, indicated that they were generally open to buying meat cultivated from animal cells on a regular basis. Many were also willing to pay more for these products than their conventionally produced counterparts. Should cultivated and plant-based meat become wildly available in South Africa, early adopters identified in the survey revealed that cultivated meat could make up 36% of their future meat intake, compared with 30% of the general population. Some of the motivations for purchasing cultivated meat included perceptions that it was better for the environment, contributed to local food security, did not harm animals, contributed to wild animal conservation, was healthier, and did not contain antibiotics or pathogens. 
187 people participated in the survey. Marina Furi, Project and Brand Manager for Consumer Education at the Red Meat Industry of South Africa, said it was difficult to say whether cultivated meat would be a threat to conventional red meat production, as it was still in early adoption phases of consumption, and it was unclear who the target market would be. She added that a very small number of people participated in the survey, which only reported intention. In the end, the proof will lie in the number of people who are willing to pay for this product. So what are your thoughts on cultivated meat? Would you try it? Share your views with us on social media, Twitter, Facebook or LinkedIn at Farmers Weekly SA. And that's it for this week. Remember to also purchase your copy of the Farmers Weekly Collector's Edition, 110 Years of Farming Land, Love and War, available at selected retailers. Until next time, stay safe and happy farming.